Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 379 on Wednesday, the 27th of January, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be talking about missing whilst not missing EU CO2 targets. We ask, how charged up should we get about some UK factory news? And if nobody is there to hear a cargo pop bang in the French mountain, has a rally actually taken place? But first, we have, unfortunately, some Dieselgate follow-up. The first one's very quick. Yesterday, a Spanish court said that VW had to pay £20 million million, compensation to people who owned cars that had the defeat device fitted. We don't know really why, but the addition to the story is VW are appealing this decision. That's it. Next. (laughs) Excellent. That's the kind of thing we want to start with. I imagine they gave the the number in euros as opposed to dollars. No, 16 point something euros, which was virtually $20 million. Oh, dear me. It's like they pluck the numbers out of a hat sometimes. Meanwhile, talking about numbers and even sort of telephone number length numbers, Volkswagen is seeking the US Supreme Court review of a ruling on emissions updates. Now, we covered this quite some time ago. And this is about a decision that was made in June that two counties in the US, that's Hillsborough County in Florida and Salt Lake, a county in Utah, could seek additional penalties from Volkswagen over its diesel emissions scandal. Billions. And it was ridiculous numbers. I can't even see what it was. No, it's not included in this story. It's so long, it didn't fit into the word count. (laughs) In... August, the ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, said it wouldn't revisit the June decision, but would let the two counties seek, as said, potentially billions in penalties from VW. So now VW is asking the Supreme Court to review the decision by the Appeals Court to see if, if this is possible. So that will grumble on, no doubt. I have a funny feeling. It's their last chance. Yeah, yeah well, there's no one higher, really, is there? No, because what what the courts have ruled, the... the ninth circle of courts or hell depending on your point of view (laughs) that's a bit bit of both really isn't it yes what they're saying is that whilst volkswagen did agree a settlement to criminal and civil action they did not obtain liability protection from state and local governments hence every county and state will then because they're all going to be hard up for cash turn Mm -hmm. around to volkswagen and go Open your checkbook, lads, because we're coming in fighting. And the trouble is that that they couldn't even pay $2 million to to outgoing, well, to former President Trump uh, to get a pardon either, because that would have been really, really cost effective. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. (laughs) As our legal fund does not run to $2 million. (laughs) (laughs) Almost make two hundred. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. story, I mean, the, the $20 million is quite painful from Spain, but that one in America is horrific for Volkswagen. That's that's end of days. That could be company-ending amounts if they all push for that. And you can bet that the vast amounts, that there would be vast amounts of greed applied. Yes. Uh, as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Not great. 
No, but uh, the last bit of VW news for the week, thankfully... Is new news. Yes, it's new news. Mm. And that is that the Volkswagen Group has missed the CO2 fleet target. Now, we've mentioned this quite a few times coming up to the end of the year. Even though they've had the ID3 and they've rolled out a vast swathes of options when it comes into hybrids and plug-in hybrids, etc., they still, as a group, missed their target. Now... Dice decided to counter this by being very vocal after just joining Twitter last week, saying, but Volkswagen brand did brilliantly. Audi brand did brilliantly, ignoring the whole, "Eh, yeah, but you're still going to get over 100 million euros fine because of the whole... Uh, It's it's 80-something to 90 euros per car. 95 euros per gram per kilometre the target is exceeded per car sold. So sometimes Mm. being the biggest isn't the best. (laughs) No. This puzzled me. Can I ask a question in case you you understand it better than I do? And, And really, I'm not actually asking Andrew. I'm asking people who know these things. Volkswagen group minus bentley and lamborghini because i think that they are they not counted as niche manufacturers so they're not needed yeah they are uh measured individually for whatever reason that yeah are uh, measured as part of a pool yes and the pool includes all those but it also includes mg iways next ego whoever these last two are and saic's european division in that pool so if the pool didn't manage it does it mean that all the companies that are part of the pool also have to pay their 95 euros per car per gram per kilometer Mm, good question so you know obviously it's going to be way 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 less by factors of many because they're tiddlers in comparison with vw but i thought the idea was they could sell some of their credits as in co2 you know credits in inverted commas of capacity and if they're all electric, I suppose it gives them, you know, it's naught to 90, was it they want 95 mm. grams, isn't it, per kilometre? Mm-hmm. So they would stop at the 95 and not sell any more, otherwise they're at a loss per car. No, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, it's really, I wasn't but, expecting But you- looking, looking at all those that they've gone into a pool with, they sell so little anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that just goes to show how catastrophic the problems with the software was for them as a group. Yeah, there was that. Because even though Volkswagen did really well, and you had the pandemic on top of things where... Well, they were shut down for many months, which was holding back. They didn't have the, the cars there. And I know they were one of the first back. We noticed so many of the car manufacturers are talking about the lovely profits they've made, though, aren't we? Well, yeah. BMW they- talked about it tonight. Their operating profit was through the roof. Oh, that's operating profit. That's not the same as as net profit. Mm. And Volkswagen have brought forward a couple of months their results, so obviously they're so good that they want to sort of hide the whole CO2 well, that's it. They fine need, thing with investors. They, they need to sort of show, but look, 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 ignore this bit and sort of yes. average out, that's not just, just the CO2. just a blip. Not just the CO2, but the, the, the good and bad news to stop to prevent share prices going up and down like a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh, anyway, Alan, take us up to the northeast then. Nissan, you might have heard of it. Uh, we've mentioned it once or twice on here. And they put out a lot of warnings right from the very, even before the Brexit referendum, that not being in Europe, 
might well pose big issues for uh, the Sunderland plant, especially mm. if there was no trade agreement. And there was quite a lot of discussion between Nissan and UK government on that particular topic as well. Well known that they were they were there and there were some discussions. And, you know, I imagine that there was a certain amount of conversation took place around what might be needed to keep Nissan within the UK. Well, good news because Ashwani Gupta, the company's COO, has declared that uh, Sunderland one of the top three plants in the world for competitiveness at Nissan will remain in Sunderland as long as the current business conditions are kept. It's good news. It's great. Uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, seven. There's it six seven thousand jobs plus tens of thousands of jobs in the supply chain for that. Thousand. Yeah. You know, connected to that. Yeah, which you can believe when you're up there. Yeah. Is all fantastic. And manufacturing of battery packs as well. So the new 62 kilowatt hour battery pack is going to be manufactured in Sunderland. And that's going to be well within all the appropriate rules that mean it qualifies for tariff-free exports to the EU, etc., etc., etc. Fantastic news. Really, it's really good news. Yes. There is a little bit of a caveat. Though. The caveat is, as long as stuff remains the way it is and nobody really knows how long that's going to go for and there's renegotiation points and all sorts of fun stuff, but you'd have to be fairly foolish to tip the boat. But 2027 rules of origin mm. mean that the batteries that are assembled doesn't quite do it justice. Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes to a Twitter thread that involves Dr. Andy Palmer talking to Jim Holder and you may need to click through a couple of the the, conversa- the speech bubbles in there just to get the right one to come up. But Dr. Andy Palmer talks about what manufacturing does go on, and it's it's slightly more than reassembling something that's coming mm. on a container. There is a bit more than that. But from 2027, the materials need to be sourced in either the EU or the UK for it to be considered suitable for the rule of origins, whereas from 2024 till 2027 doing it the way that's being proposed by Nissan will meet those conditions mm-hmm. like a two-step step process. Um, they have given, by the sounds of the deal, the companies time to adjust. But still, it means... Well, they've given them some time. Yeah, they, they've been given some time, but it still means that the UK needs, as Dr. Palmer says, we need three to four more gigaplants in the UK, but we do have the materials, a lot of the materials in the UK already. So... Mm. That bodes well. And that's before there's any magic new battery. That yeah. There is always an article. It almost seems like weekly. Oh, there's this new battery that's almost here, and that may run on something else. The, the types of story that we look at and raise our eyebrows at and go, right, well, when it is actually here, then we'll talk about it. Yeah. In the short term, definitely great news that Nissan is, is staying in Sunderland for all those jobs and everything. And if it helps to make the UK manufacturing viable and realistic and companies then don't go, right, that's it, we're off. Because mm. everything's just too... This is another hard thing on top of all the other hard thing that's made working and business harder than it should be. Then I'm all... You know, we need it <laughs> desperately. Yeah, and, and the, chat, um, the, the COO there uh, was saying that they're a very big company... They're very used to working in many plants in many countries around the world. As far as they were concerned, one or two more forms was not really a big deal, given the scale of what they do. 
Yeah, it's just the cost issue, isn't it? Yeah. Particularly if there's Renault factories doing something similar, not a million miles away without the costs. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. But, you know, it, good. You know, hopefully, because that's on top of the other, what was it? Uh, what's the Volt? Some Instavolt, was it? Somebody that was, no, that's the charging network. Isn't Unlikely it? it was Instavolt. There's a Northumberland Gigafactory going to be open. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember the name, but it will also be just up the road. Yeah, so, so lots that, of skills in that area are ready, so they're leveraging on that. That's two up there. Three or mm-hmm. four more others that you know meet the Midlands and places and the, the South. Brilliant. Hopefully, hopefully more people get on board with this, or the government is able to back it. Anyway, moving down south, we're going to go to London, and we're going to talk about a subject that we really don't like to have to talk about but does keep coming up now and again and that is congestion charges in london hooray and thanks to the uh, investigative journalism tendencies of mr daniel puddicombe who some of you may recognize as having been on this show let alone having his articles in here quite a few times has found out that with the new temporary increases (laughs) in scope and charges to the congestion charge that came in last year, they have made, just off the congestion charge, an additional £86 million, with a predicted £113 by the end of the financial year. Should they keep them in place? They are keeping them in place until the end of the financial year. Oh, what a surprise. As a minimum. But they need it. Because they've got no other income. So the counter... or, or So the other side of this is... Don't forget, they have lost shed loads of cash. And I haven't had the chance to dig out from their report that came out in December how much income has dropped on the public transport side of things. I saw a tweet earlier today, and I I can't find it again now, but it gave an idea of just what the percentages were. So even now, there's still only 55% as much road traffic uh, as there was normally in, in central London. The tube was right down to like 20 or 30% of what it normally is. Buses were down. Just the number of people. Right. Yeah. No reason to go there. No. And we also have to remember that these temporary measures only came into place because these were part of the conditions of the government giving a bailout back last year. Mm. because of lockdown and that no one was traveling and then obviously there is the natural fear of being on public transport with the pandemic going around etc etc and that tfl we again have to remind everybody in case you've forgotten tfl is the only city-based particularly capital city but it's definitely in this country city-based transport network that is not subsidized by the government anyway no exactly Whilst that does look horrific at 86 million, if you just look at pure money terms, there are definite reasons why. Transport for London's statement in response to this article is just a corporate response that's dreadful. I mean, it's just bl- Oh, we want people to walk around more, and therefore this charge was part of that, blah, blah, blah. It's, oh. it's not. It's not. I'm sorry. It's, that's rubbish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the, they needed the cash, and this was the this is their only way of making it up. Yeah. Next up, Shell uh, already has some rapid charges of its own, its own network based at filling stations. However, what they're doing is they are broadening what they offer by buying up the charging firm Ubitricity. 
which is one I don't think I've ever used, to be honest. Part of that is because Ubitricity isn't uh, so much about uh, rapid chargers. It's more about street furniture integrated chargers. So it's the ones in lampposts mm-hmm. is essentially where we're going with that. So the idea is that they are low power chargers, but they are almost everywhere. That's what they're yeah. aiming for with U- Ubitricity. And they've got quite a few charging places points. In terms of actual chargers, they are one of the one of the largest UK ones. They've got over two thousand seven hundred chargers, giving a market share of thirteen percent. Shell, as I said, already had had uh, rapids, but it's actually got a thousand a thousand, pardon me, uh, more than a thousand of them at four hundred and thirty Shell retail sites, which we all think, which is actually a petrol station. <laughs> yes, they're climatizing us to the change in lingo. <laughs> <laughs> they're intending on uh, opening an EV charging forecourt, specific EV charging forecourt uh, in London within the next few months as well. There we go. Interesting. D- different. It's kind of funny because obviously BP bought Polar, which is in the middle of being rebranded to BP Pulse. Yeah, I think so. Which is generally all about super fast chargers in sort of high movement areas. Whereas this is Shell seem to be taking the opposite approach, or the complementary approach, even, which is many uh, low power chargers in sort of in in sort of what I think of as low movement areas where you'd park yeah. and you'd leave it there for a long time in streets of terraced houses. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. In uh, if they could get them in uh, long term car parks and stuff like that as well. Yes, absolutely. At, at airports and stuff. Although I think. Airports keep telling us they'd much rather we all took public transport to get there, which is brilliant until you sort of try and work out how much try and get there. spend on parking. <laughs> until you try and get there. If you get from mine to Heathrow, it's great. Hours, hours and hours it'll take. Yes. Right, so you're going to move on to some oh, sad news, really. Mm. And that is that uh, the Bloodhound uh, supersonic project is, or the land speed record project, is up for sale again. The current owner, uh, Mr. Warhurst, who came in and saved it last year, if you remember, it was last year, wasn't it? Was it uh, the year before? Yeah, I think it was the year before, actually. Okay, year before. Uh, Ian Warhurst, he came, he stepped in uh, and uh, helped out. Yeah, because they did um, testing in 2019, yes. didn't they? Yes, they did. So it must have been. Yes. Uh, he said that he thinks it's going to take another £8 million to get it to the point where they will actually take on the record. And he can't do that anymore. He cannot afford to help out anymore. So it's some time, It's time for someone else to come and help out now, he thinks. It's such a tricky time to do this. Yeah. And I think you're going to have to be a very enlightened and you're going to have to spin it in such a way that the main the majority of the public see this as a good thing, even though there is, because I saw somebody talking about this on Twitter, a friend of the show was talking about this on Twitter, there's no real green, in inverted commas, yeah. sort of angle to this. So it's a bit difficult at the minute when everyone's talking about climate change. Mm. To, to, take a, to take a giant engine and a rocket. Yes, to push this through and get it past people going, well, why are you spending money on this? far out project and then if you add into that that there's no real you know this is this is taking almost to the limit what Mm. some many see as ancient technology now that has got no further history you know further use in history for us now yeah it's been refined Mm -hmm. since the the initial 
iteration. Originally, it was going to be a supercharged Jaguar V8 that, that, that ran the fuel pump, for example. They're now talking about a battery or supercapacitor to, to power the, the electric motor that powers the pump. So it's greener than it was. But still. Yeah. It's a giant rocket. <laughs> it is It is a big land-based rocket, and it's flipping hard to justify, but I wish we could because I think it's a really cool thing, and I think it's a really cool project, and I think it's good for engineering. And I think we'll still learn an awful lot that will be useful. That's it. It's just there isn't an obvious direct-to-consumer use straight off the bat. Benefit, yeah. No, exactly. So... Yeah, I'm wishing all, all the best. Fantastic uh, rear view interview, actually, with the chief engineer on which I, I hope you'll link to in the show notes um, because okay, it was yeah, fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, it, w- it was excellent, really interesting, and it's such a great engineering project. But, yeah, tricky to sell at the minute. I, I don't yeah. mean physically sell. I mean just sell the idea at the moment. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed, and we, we wish them all the very best. And we, as, as Alan says, just hope it happens because it's yeah. – I think it's awesome. Talking then of other things that are tricky to sell at the moment, Alan. <laughs> yeah, Subarus. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with this. There is a new boss at Subaru in uh, the UK and Europe. Anyone remember the old one? No. No. Because I, I saw him at a car launch where the, the stationary plane nearly got blown over. And that's the last I heard of him in any motoring press at all. Yeah. The new one, however, because we we don't really, let's not worry about the old one, is a chap called John Hurtig, who moved from heading up Subaru in the Nordics uh, last summer. And he's been very frank in an article with, in an interview with, uh, with Autocar. Subaru did not do well last year. They sold 951 cars to the point we were really worried oh yeah truly worried really worried that they wouldn't make it to the end of the year yeah yeah and that's after about three thousand a year before that's how that's how grim it's been in august for example 69 uk dealers 34 registrations in the whole month of august so yeah i mean he's he's being quite candid about it saying it's a horrible year it's an embarrassing number there's no context to try and put around it other than the fact that they pre-registered like mad in december 2019 yep and then we're selling off the pre-registered registrations way cheaper through the dealers for the whole of the year it's just just not great and i really really would like subaru to be better i mean i i think Mm. we did i mean not so long ago you had Forester Hybrid. Yeah. And I think I chatted about it then. It was like, the challenge with Subaru at the minute is, what is it? Yes, absolutely. That That's the big thing for me is, I don't know what they're trying to be. Yeah. And I think the challenge is, I don't, they don't really know either. There is a weird thing that Subaru and Isuzu can never be, can ne- it's like uh, Alfa Romeo and Lancia. It's the Japanese equivalent. Is that Subaru and Isuzu can never be successful at the same time? They they share an importer, certainly into the UK, and there is one will be successful or the other will be successful. And right at the minute, it's Isuzu that's 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 the more successful, and so Subaru doesn't know what to do with itself. And nothing sporty anymore. So any sort of heart back to Colin McRae, uh, Richard Burns type blue gold wheels five 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 downside 
or whatever stylized design there is to disguise the cigarette branding. So you can't hark back to any of that. So nope. who are you selling to? You're selling to people who actually probably want better fuel economy than anything you're offering. Yep. That stuff starts to look a bit expensive, really, because there's been a big price hike. It's just a bit tricky. I mean, what they do, what they do really well is their safety package. Awesome, but that's not what anybody ever thinks of. No, uh, I, I think that that ship is bolted because everybody harps on about how safe they are, hmm. e- even though I found it one of the most reliable systems of the cars I've been in, the most consistent and the easiest to use, even when not trying to drive as fast as I can towards a parked bale. Yes. But, uh, but it's the other other parts, like you say, the, the fuel economy is just not good enough, mm. where that could tip it over the edge. We always put the caveat in when we do the reviews, because we quite like them as cars for what they're, what we think is their market. But we always yeah. say, if we lived in the countryside or somewhere a bit more remote, we would definitely be looking at Subaru. And that's that's the caveat. It's not like, yeah, if we lived in the suburbs, we'd still look at a Subaru. Yeah. They need some new models to help balance it out, and they need more efficient engines. Well, they've got some of those coming in May. So updated XV, facelifted Forester, and a new Mark VI Outback should be coming in May. And they're starting to develop a battery electric SUV, unsurprisingly, uh, with Toyota that should be on sale by 2025. Mm-hmm. It is a niche manufacturer, so the 95 grams per kilometer doesn't isn't a big worry for them because they do sell so few. Uh, and they're also pointing out that Brexit doesn't really have any significant effect on them, uh, especially given that there's a, a Japanese trade deal already. Yeah, they're all, they're just importing in anyway, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, let's fingers crossed because I really want absolutely that they're, they're a brand that I like. They're a brand that yep. I want to be successful, uh, and I really, really hope they are. I like the fact that they're left field and they bring something different to the party. I just wish they they brought it a little bit better that people recognized (laughs) a little bit more of it please yes quite right talking of brands we we like the sound of a lot and we don't want to disappear and reading this out i'm hoping this is not the ghosts of baja past no lotus have confirmed no it's all right don't worry i'm that that still just sits there but i don't believe it's true Mm -hmm. but lotus confirmed that they're going to be bringing out several new uh, models soon however this is not a Baja. There'll be 723 different models by the end of next week or anything ridiculous. And also, Geely, as backers, we know they don't allow, should we say, over-optimism? No, they, they are. They seem to take risks but not then go out and tell everyone. It's pragmatic, Yeah, it seems to be. So Lotus are going to be bringing out a new uh, car called the Type 131 uh, later in the year. The... Elise, Exige, and Evora, they will finish this year, and we will have new models to replace them. Forgotten, the Elise was 1995 when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I wonder, there, there must be a list in the week there for somebody who's listening, motion research or auto car. Oldest cars still on sale. <laughs> True. It's, I mean, it's, but it's basically just the tub that's the same. It's just the name, really, <clears throat> isn't it, now that's the same. So probably a few few things else with the lotus <laughs> but <laughs> yeah fingers crossed this is actually a realistic plan which i believe it will it is now i really believe that mm-hmm. lotus will it's just can they can they get past 
German competition because that's what they're going up against. They're, they're, it's actively being talked about against Porsche well, and people like that. So you've you've got to get over badge snobbery and issues. But I think when you get up to the prices they're talking about, that's easy. Ironically, it's easier. Yeah, I mean, just look at look at Volvo. It seems to have managed be managing that just fine. Mm, yeah, so stylish, good, and stand out. No pressure, Lotus. Yeah. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. <laughs> right. I believe that is the end of the first part, Alan. It is. And yes, it's Guild Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and from Teespring store, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. And we're trying to expand the range, uh, certainly, of mugs and T-shirts. Yes, Alan's been busy. Yes, I have. Translation. Alan's been stuck inside when there's been snow and has actually done something about it. Um, <laughs> if you don't have any spare cash, however, we completely understand. And you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking, rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thanks very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you to everyone that does. We do appreciate it, and we do notice. Here endeth the lesson. Mm. Formula E, Alan. Uh, yeah, Formula E, really interesting stuff this week. Uh, Formula E, uh, talking about cost caps and the challenge of cost caps, given the uh, disparate types of teams that there are within Formula mm. E. So whilst the cars all look very much the same, the challenge is that in the background you have massive companies like Volkswagen uh, Group. Mercedes. <laughs> and Mercedes and these kind of people. And at the other end, you have tiny little teams like, I'm now trying to think of one, Dragon Pensk, for example, or Neo333, uh, who use lots of different suppliers and outsource stuff. And it's how to make a cap work because it's quite possible that a very large manufacturer could oh actually just working on something a completely dip completely different uh department but yeah yeah so we just had this idea and and, and so we just slotted it in yeah yeah no it didn't didn't cost us any money at all and, and so work the way around stuff there so there's so Cause there's, there's two there's two layers to the co- the caps isn't there there's hmm. the, you've got to look at the manufacturer and then you've got to look at the team exactly itself which complicates things which i never realized because i'd never looked into because i don't follow formula one so i never look into the formula one side of things but it's a similar similar issue that's now just to show how mature formula e is now that they have the same problems that other series have yeah. Yeah, yeah, and this big manufacturer is kind of shoving shoving research under the carpet, which which the the smaller teams just just can't manage. Anyway, really interesting article about that by uh, Sam Smith on the race, uh, which yes. will be linked in the show notes. So if you want all the 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 nitty gritty on that, then do go have a read. It's pretty interesting. It is very interesting. Right, WRC is back. Woo-hoo. Genuine motorsport, everyone. I know, <laughs> on real roads and everything. The Monte yeah. Carlo Rally took place last weekend. And amazingly, and thankfully, nobody pitched up to try and watch it. Nobody broke the rules from that side, of, from the spectator side of thing. So nobody had to get a fine. They didn't have to shut any 
I was really fearful that they were going to have to close at yeah. least one stage because people have been stupid and just gone, no, we'll still do it anyway because they won't notice us or something. And of course they would. Uh, and in the end, uh, Sebastian Ogier took his 50th WRC victory, which is a heck of a record. And his eighth Monte Carlo. I mean, he is phenomenal. Yes, absolutely. Um, so he, I mean, I, we have been, whilst perhaps not all the rallying has been the best from a spectator point of view in the last decade, we've still got some cracking drivers mm -hmm. and they have achieved some amazing things. I mean, Ogier, I don't care what era it is, I think he would have excelled him. Him and Loeb together, you know, both at the peak of their things would have been an amazing, amazing to watch and yeah. to be, to witness. But... Uh, uh, it it works out. So, so Sebastian Ogier won for Toyota. Uh, Elvin Evans was second, uh, 32.6 seconds only behind at the end of the um, at the end of the event. And Thierry Neuville with his parachuted in last second co-driver. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. Wadagi, I think. Not a clue. I I, I think, and I do apologise if I have absolutely butchered your name there. It's going to be something more Belgian or Flemish, I think, actually, given the spelling. Yes, okay. Uh, but he came in third for Hyundai, uh, one minute and 13 seconds behind. So Toyota, obviously, outscoring Hyundai because uh, Ottanik also had to retire. He was first on the first day, mm -hmm. at the end of the first day, but he got a couple of punctures which meant he limped back to service with only three tyres on his car and he got a suspended penalty for that, which caused much kerfuffle on the social medias about how that was unfair, etc. But it was brought in to prevent people going on public roads with cars in unsafe conditions, etc. So uh, it, the rules are what the rules are. But he was also not happy with the car anyway. So there's more to come from Hyundai because I can't believe they're going to sit back and allow that because he was he wasn't happy with the the power delivery and he thought there was problems with the boost and stuff like that mm. and the Hyundai aren't going to put up with that they're they're going for manufacturer and driver championship this year obviously yeah. um, it's still early you still can't predict how everything's going how the series is going to go until the tradition is until Me until Mexico but I've no idea what I haven't is looked now. that far ahead in the no. calendar to see where they're going to be. <laughs> I don't think anybody has, to be honest. Yeah. But they're off to the Arctic next. That's the next round. So just snow. Uh, I, I presume they put... Well, they got a like, fair the, amount the, of snow on... The tracks on the back, the you know, like from... from, <laughs> from what are those... Uh, what are, the, what are those... Uh, is it? Um, I'm not helping you. You're being ridiculous, so I'm not helping you. <laughs> oh, you're so cruel. You're so cruel. From a skidoo uh, or a snowmobile type Skidoo, thing. that's what I was trying yes. to think. Thank you. I'm just delighted they managed to get it done. I'm delighted that nobody was stupid, and I'm delighted they all got to the end, basically. So yeah. it's great. Yep. Shows it can be done. Absolutely. So there'll be a couple of extra links apart from the results in the show notes. Uh, there will be the usual What We Learned article from Dirtfish, uh, and also an explanation of how um, WRC managed uh, to make sure that the Monte Carlo rally happened at all. Designer's mood board, please, Alan. Yes. Uh, Designer's mood board is, is a retirement this week. Murray Callum, Ian Callum's younger brother, is retiring as Ford design chief. 
uh, after seven years there. He's going to be succeeded by Anthony Lowe, who's coming across from Renault. But Murray Callum, I first noticed him, whoa, when I was still at school, I think, with the Lagonda Vignali concept. If you don't know what that looks like, go Google image search. It's it's Lagonda as in Aston Martin and Vignali as in Vignali all the things, uh, which is what Ford has been doing uh, for the last couple of years. Responsible for loads of other things, uh, loads and loads of other vehicles, Ford GT, uh, current Mustang. Uh, but before that, when he was at Mazda, when Ford still had a very large stake in Mazda, he's responsible for the NC, that's the third generation Mazda MX-5, and also the very handsome CX-7 SUV, which really is a vehicle which doesn't seem to have dated much at all. No, that still looks good. Very, very heavy clutch. Heavy clutch. But lovely cars. One of the first things he did was work at Lotus in the late 1980s, and he was involved in the Lotus Carlton design uh, as well. So he's 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 retiring, so he's been around for a little while. There's some some great cars as a result. But do look up, do look up the Lagonda Vignale because it, it's still awesome. Twenty mm-hmm. odd years later, yeah. No pressure on Mister Lowe, by the way. No, none at all. That must be one of the... It's, it It will actually be one of the trickiest people to replace, I think, in automotive design. Because whilst lots of brands, you look at what they're doing and you go, are you, are you feeling all right? Mm. Ford, Ford's range is good looking. Everything from the Ranger Raptor right down to... Oh, oh okay. No, there's, this, there's, this, there's, the, there's the car thing. Yeah, it's the car plus. I'm sorry, <laughs> I completely forgot about. It. Uh, has it not been discontinued? Right down to the Fiesta. Let's 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 run it easily. Right down to the there Fiesta. Are, I think it's good looking. You're about to lineup. say you don't like the the Puma because you're no, wrong. No, I don't. I don't like the Puma. Yeah, and you're wrong. But there we go. But it doesn't matter because they're still selling. So it doesn't matter what I think about the looks of it. Exactly, like hot cats. Just a squatting, squatting cat. It's not a squatting cat. Anyway, you look at you look at the headlights. They're pointing up. So it looks like it's squatting. <laughs> L- lunchtime read. Lunchtime read. This is an important one. It's from friend of the show, James Ruppert. He has a new book out, and it's cracking. I have started to leave through. Full disclosure, we have both been sent free copies. Yes. And I'm keeping it. I'm not giving it away. Cause no. I'm, I'm, partly I'm, because it's inscribed to me, but also because because it's, cause it's a keeper, this one. No, this one's a keeper. Yes. So this is... Uh, Ruppert's Bangerpedia, 2000 to 2010. So these are most of the cars you could buy in the UK over that time with explanations if you're looking to buy it secondhand, what you need to look out for, as well as some stats and things like that. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's it's nothing like we have now. Well, it's it's based after the Observer's Book of Cars, which you don't get anymore, like the Observer Book of Birds and all these ones. You don't. I just imagine the bird one still sells. But you, you don't get it. So it's exactly that format. So there's there's a picture, there's rough dimensions so that you know what, what 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 size you would expect it to be when you spot it in the wild. There's a bit of a description and the name and some of the specs in a sort of top trump styly. Uh, and then there is a number of no, there is a term for them. I always think of it as a number of ruppets out of five. But yeah, there's a score as to whether this is a good idea or whether you should run screaming away from the advert that you've seen. There aren't so many ones. I have found a couple. There was Bentley on that. I've I, we've got a we've got a link in in the show notes 
which is, uh, again, um, disclosure, is an affiliate link. So, you know, if you, if you do, which we recommend you obviously do, want to buy a, a copy of this, if you go through our link, then we get a little bit of little bit of a thank you for that that doesn't cost you anything i think we get a couple of percent of your 3.99 for the kindle version so everyone buy the paperback please <laughs> yes i've clicked on the surprise me and the mitsubishi i has come up and i like the opening of this no one has ever seen one but they do exist <laughs> i i have seen them i've seen them in central london that's about the only place i've seen them i've seen the electric one you and i oh, saw oh that's true one. this is i met uh no i have seen the eye as well i've never seen an eye but i have i've seen the i haven't seen the imev that used to live in my town all oh, right with well, it's probably very faded paint they probably replaced it with a zoe or something so oh yes. look there's a tata safari tata safari the only comment on it is terrible most of the others, by the way, do have something quite constructive about it. But no, that's all it said. And it doesn't even have a single little ruppet beside it. That's how shockingly appalling they were. And, and they really were shockingly appalling, even when new. Um, because it was a place that sold them not long, not far from where I grew up. And not good. Not good. Anyway, yes. Bangapedia. Well worth four quid. Absolutely. Right. List of the week then, Alan. Yes. Take us to the gaudy monstrosities. Well, they're not... The list of the week this week is from Matt Allen in The Scotsman. And the title of the article is Take a look at how the super rich customised their Rolls Royces in 2020. And they're not actually all <laughs> in 2020. And you'd think, oh, this is going to be awful. It is going too to far be terrible. <laughs> now, it varies a bit. It does vary. So there's a list of 10 sort of... There's some that make your eyes bleed, and there's some that don't. So I'll give you that. And there's some that I would I would actually have, and I think are quite cool. Okay. Go on, then. You you better start, then, at this point. What's the... What's one that you, you see? Made? I was giving you the chance of the, the nice one, the nicest one. The, the trouble is I want to say the good ones, and I want to say the bad ones, and I've now lost it. Hang on, hang on. I'll find it eventually. Now, it's the one with the iridescent feathers, I think, is actually really quite cool. Oh, that's not bad. I will give you that's not I bad. I think, the, because the right, only part one... of this, shall I explain? We need to explain back yeah. a little bit, sorry. One of the things we didn't, uh, I meant to mention at the start of this, is that Rolls Royce these days, into the dashboard, there's the option to have a gallery. So instead of just having, you know, a boring slab of highly polished wood, you can have, behind glass anything you want within reason. They're a luxury item and very much of the luxury side of things. And I think this was talked about in the rear view I had, hmm. but was that when you get to that end of the market, everything is customizable. Mm -hmm. And that is part of, is part of what makes Rolls Royce special is the way that they are able to bring whatever it is pretty much that the client wants to the car. Yeah, I mean, this has sustainably sourced, <laughs> I don't know what that means really, uh, sustainably sourced iridescent feathers arranged in they a picked them up off the floor. Yeah, no, they didn't just... <laughs> they, they went boo to a peacock and then picked up the feathers. No, they're much nicer than peacock feathers, but it's lots of, it's sort of like 3,000 feathers and they're all arranged sort of coming out from behind the clock they do look like they're from a bird of paradise don't they they do look like that kind of thing so they're kind of purpley greeny they look a bit like an mg 
ZT. Not ZT. Yes. Uh, ZS. The, the, that it's very flip pretty. Page, it is it's very pretty. pretty. I think it's really quite nice. I think it's kind of tasteful if you like that kind of thing. And there's some custom inlays and, and sort of extra areas in the back that, that are done that way. There are some others. Less to my taste. Less to my taste. What yes. about you? Do you want to choose one which is not there is, to your there taste? There is one piece that I like. I don't like the rest of what's happened, but the Inspired by Earth. I like the dashboard. Right. I like I like the satellite picture on the dashboard. It, I yes. don't like the rest of how it's been executed. That's not for me. The, the bonnet I don't with need the, a map on the bonnet. The, the bonnet <laughs> air, airbrushed with the, the Arabian Peninsula, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, but I I like the idea of of a map on the dashboard like that. I or satellite map. I I do like that. Hmm. Uh, that and is I don't quite need cool, the planets actually. in Dayglow stickers on the side. Sorry, they're painted, aren't they? They're I, I would painted. imagine they're going to be hand painted. Yeah, yeah. Oi, you with a vinyl cutter. <laughs> it's not really the Rolls Royce way, is it? Get the hairdryer on it. We can peel yeah, it back off. Peel again. it back off right. again. You've put satin on upside down. <laughs> Ah, that's us doing. It also has moccasin leather to mimic the sands of the Emirates Desert. There we go. Oh, okay. Lovely. Fair enough. Yeah, no, there's actually, but there's some quite cool stuff in between the two. I think we've chosen either end. I quite like the ones in the brighter colours, to be honest. They were executed quite well, I mm, thought. I like I thought dashboards. They were going to be, dashboards are really I thought nice. that was going to be a lot worse. Hmm. You know, I thought it was going to be really quite jarring, but I, I think it worked not too badly. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. That's complimentary there. Not too badly. Yeah, it's not too bad, really. Uh, yeah. Speaking of speaking of of complimentary things, then what about this week's and finally, Andrew? Yes, you found this, and it is a cracker. Now I've read it, but this is from Jalopnik, and the title of the article is "We Need to Talk About How Nissan Made the Best Fuel Gauge Ever." And what it essentially is is a normal fuel gauge where you have full quarter of a tank, half tank, or three quarters of a tank, half tank, down to empty. But there's also a second gauge inside it, which takes you from quarter of a tank down to absolutely nothing. And part part of the confusion is, why does a sports car stroke, what they hoped was going to be a GT at the time, a car have sort of what's considered the... Um, those of us more economically minded in attention... <laughs> Yeah, fuel gauge. Exactly. It's it's like you know, it, it was only really it was only available in top of the rate uh, the, towards the top of the range of Nissan cars because it involved lots of extra cost. So there's a whole mm. second fuel sender and float and and mechanism in the fuel tank. Whereas, I don't know if if you're unless you're me, I suppose. Uh, but generally, people who drive in the bottom quarter of a tank all the time would really really need that extra gauge are going to be the people oh, who have so been there <laughs> yeah are, are going to be the people who who you know are, are probably more economical end of the range so it's a very strange thing to do yeah but it, I, I but now i want one in any car i've got because I look, I, that extra little bit of detail is, is superb i mean it must be so much easier now if you are doing it via a computer program and but, but they sensors. do the opposite they do the absolute opposite that's the thing is that i know that my, the you know the the grmm which is the only one of my cars with a computer in these days then it counts its way johnny the yaris has a computer but not officially it does 
No, it's official as fucking, trust me, mate, the amount I'm paying to insure him now, it's official. No, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant was it came out of the factory that way. Oh, right, came out of the factory. <laughs> A ridiculous thing about Johnny and the Iris is that the built-in trip computer does actually still work, showing miles per gallon uh, uh, over time. I'm not a hundred percent certain about the accuracy of of said uh, of said meters, but they do still work. Are you saying that you have not not had a, a enough chance to drive enough miles to work this out yet in lockdown? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Basically, yes, yes. In a word, yes. Where was Sorry, I going I with all of that? You, you did, you were totally. Gonna, you were going to talk about Oh, yeah, what how... I was saying is it's the opposite problem now is that whenever you get the range meters, like the one the GRMN, it, 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 once it gets down to a certain point, it just fuzzes out and goes and, and just gives you dashes rather than showing you actually how little fuel you have left. Because mm. I know that I've got to range equals zero with a mile to go until the petrol station. And, and um, made it there without any stuttering or hesitation. Very gently. <laughs> I'm practicing for our electric future. That's what it is. Yes, momentum. <laughs> it is. It is our is our key. But no, this is a cracking one. So do click through on the link and have a read through. It's a wonderful article. Plus, you get to look at a picture of an old Dunson. Yeah. Commiserations. Parish notes this week. There will be a Zoom Zoomers on Monday. I'm not. I won't be able to do it, so so I won't be there. So there's a win so for I'm you all. Screw the lot of you lot in Zoom Zoomers. <laughs> no, we will have a link in the show notes as ever. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so that will be on Monday. I'm trying to sort out a couple of special editions, but they won't be for another couple of weeks, I'm afraid. And... If you've not listened to the special edition with Paul Cowland, uh, talking about some of classic cars, which is halfway through at the minute, or it's fin- yeah, halfway through at the minute as we record, then do go listen to that because Paul's an awesome guest. And by the way, having watched the episode you talk a long time about, uh, because it's a slight tweak to their format, mm. I agree with your conclusion. That it's much better. I can't remember what my conclusion was. Uh, your conclusion Drew. was, oh, I didn't realise. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I, I had realised, and, and I got to the end and went, oh yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, which is going to go? So, uh, yeah, that's that's that. So anything else I missed out, Andrew? No. Fantastic. Well then, folks, don't forget between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. So please don't forget about all the different ways there are to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Alan, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they wish to discuss further about how far you can go with zero fuel on your fuel gauge? It's not something I test too often, especially not at the minute. Uh, But you can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, We will be back uh, on the normal schedule next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.